A Focus Summary of Part 1, Chapter 11 of Silas Marner Arriving at the Red House, seated in a saddle behind her father, Nancy Lameter blushed at the approach of Godfrey Cass, who helped her down from the horse. She was pained that though she had made it clear to Godfrey she did not wish to marry him, he continued to pay her marked attentions. And she was perplexed as to why his attentions wavered, so that he would go weeks without speaking to her, and then resume making love to her again. In any case, she would not be won by any man who led a bad life, when her own father was the best man in the countryside. After being lifted down in Godfrey's strong arms, she hastened into the house with the excuse that the snow had begun to fall again. The arrival of the Lambeters had been awaited with eagerness, and Mrs. Kimball, the hostess at Red House on these great occasions, came forward to greet Nancy and conduct her upstairs. Nancy requested to be allowed to find her own way, and she joined the other young ladies making their toilettes in the blue room. Among them were the two Miss Guns, wine merchant's daughters dressed in the height of fashion, and Miss Ladbrook, who looked upon them with a jealously disapproving eye. Miss Nancy was greeted by her aunt, who made punctilious small talk about their neighbors and the weather. When Nancy was introduced to the Miss Guns, her inclination always to be moderate and mannerly in her thoughts prompted her to quickly find excuses for her negative first impressions, and to persuade herself that her Aunt Osgood must share her opinion. Three of the ladies soon retired, but the Miss Guns were delighted when Mrs. Osgood stayed behind— giving them the excuse to stay and observe the lovely Nancy's toilette. Everything about her was of a delicate purity and unvarying neatness, and when at last she stood before the mirror, they could find nothing to criticize but her hands, which showed the signs of coarse work. Miss Nancy was not ashamed, but the Miss Guns thought it a pity that these rich country people should be brought up in such vulgarity." But though Miss Nancy was uneducated, she had the veracity, honor, and refinement of a lady, and was as capable of loyalty to a baseless opinion as those more informed than she. Just as Nancy finished dressing, her sister Priscilla appeared in a matching gown. Despite Mrs. Osgood's effort to temper Priscilla's usual rough manner with an increase of formality— Priscilla proceeded to complain of Nancy's insistence that they wear the same dress, despite how ugly she looks in it, to say she doesn't much mind being ugly, and ask the Miss Guns whether they do, to declare it no good to worry over what the men think of you, and to insist that for any woman with her own fortune, the best husband is Mr. Have-Your-Own-Way. Mrs. Osgood then took an opportunity to usher the Miss Guns downstairs— and Nancy reproached Priscilla for offending them. But Priscilla just waved off her criticism, saying she was a bad one for anyone who didn't like the truth. Nancy pouted to Priscilla that she was perfectly willing to let her have her choice of dresses, but Priscilla affectionately insisted she had always gotten her own way, and would surely continue to do so when she was married. Nancy protested that she did not intend ever to marry— but Priscilla declared that she would be the only old maid between them. Sitting down at the place that had been kept for her near the head of the table, Nancy dwelled on her inward drama. She enjoyed imagining that she might have been the mistress in this venerable home, 
but that only deepened her determination that she would never marry a man, no matter how dazzling his rank, who was careless of his character. And yet she would love him always. Nothing but a blush betrayed these moving thoughts within her. It was not the rector's practice to let a charming blush pass without a compliment, and after commenting on these roses blooming on New Year's Day, he turned to Godfrey to ask, "'What do you say?' But reverent love has a politeness of its own, and Godfrey made no remark. This irritated the squire, who was impatient with Godfrey for being such a dull spark in this way, and he decided to supply his son's deficiencies and speak for him. The squire declared of Nancy that he could not remember a sample to match her, then followed with an apology to Mrs. Crackenthorpe, whom he said he didn't know at Nancy's age. Though Nancy's father was gratified by any honor paid to his daughter, he refused to compromise his dignity by showing any elation over the notion of a match with Godfrey until he saw an alteration to his behavior in several ways. Mrs. Kimball then complimented Nancy as wonderful, like what her mother was, and asked her husband for his agreement. But Dr. Kimball was too busy flitting around the room making himself agreeable to his feminine patients to hear her. The squire and the Kimballs engaged in teasing banter, until Mr. Kimball suddenly slipped up to Miss Nancy's side and asked her to remember her promise and save a dance for him. The squire then warned him that her first dance was spoken for, and turned to Godfrey for confirmation that he had asked Nancy for the first dance. Uncomfortable with his father's meddling, and eager for it to end, Godfrey saw no other course than to turn to Nancy and ask her for that dance himself, and she agreed. The group then heard the fiddle approaching the room, and the squire called to his son Bob to let the man in. Solomon Macy entered, bowed to the crowd, finished his tune, and greeted all the guests with marked solicitousness. Then he broke into a dance tune and led a procession into the white parlor for the dance. The squire led off, as was traditional, with Mrs. Crackenthorpe, the rector, and Mrs. Osgood. It was as if to make merry, pay each other compliments, pass well-tried jokes, and eat and drink too much were their most important social duties. In Raveloe, it was not considered inappropriate for a clergyman to set an example of these social duties— but neither was there any reason why he should be exempt from Mr. Macy's criticisms. So the parson was one among the many revelers evaluated by Mr. Macy for their leg, their steps, their way of waving their hands, their shape, and their character. Mr. Winthrop joined in the commentary, observing the prettiness of Miss Nancy and her fitness to fill the role of Madame Cass, and declaring that no one could find fault with Godfrey's shape. Nevertheless, Mr. Macy did, and then proceeded to criticize him for being turned round the finger by Duncey, and for being so hot and cold in his courting. 